Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Cynthia Skuman is a Managing Director of Ethics, Monitoring and Management Services. She has over 20 years' experience in the field of workplace ethics and governance. She's a published author, a regular speaker at conferences, and is often interviewed on TV and radio. Cynthia has lectured in ethics and governance at South Africa's top business schools. What I love about Cynthia is her relatable manner on teaching ethics and her no-nonsense approach to life in general. We've known each other for a long time, but we've never really had this kind of talk. Indeed. indeed. And I'm looking forward to it. As a student, you know, you obviously selected particular subjects with a particular vision in mind in terms of what career you want to follow. I wish it was as clear as that, you know. Okay. I, I, I wish in, in those days I, I had a little more foresight and some more mm-hmm. wisdom. I mean, it was a very fun time, let yeah. me tell you. Um, no, we weren't going. It wasn't <laughs> reckless, but it yeah. was certainly fun. Yeah. And, and so, so not the, the clarity that, you know, I suppose one can't look back and wish you mm. had, uh, but not a great deal of clarity, but, um, but, a, but a good experience, great experience. And what you thought um, you're going to do and what you're doing now, are they the same? Worlds apart, I, I couldn't have imagined landing up in the space I am now. Um, and, and back then, I, I think part of the advantages of, of my generation is that we never even had to think about getting a job. Hmm. It, I mean, now, you know, our youth, or, or as, I, as we obviously know, are really grappling. But I mean, back then it was simply a case of, well, where did you want to work? And yeah. that's what you could do. And, and so that was a, quite a different factor. And it didn't... I think what the what a consequence was is you didn't have to apply your mind quite that seriously. Mm. You knew you could get a job. job. Um, let me quickly add, and not in brackets, white privilege. Ooh, um, yeah. you know, it's true. I, I, I don't think that we should look back at that time and think that that applied to everyone. Yeah. I, I certainly think that that wasn't the case, far from. Um, but certainly for me, that, that was a factor. And so getting into ethics, how did you get into that field? It was actually a a lovely story. I I, um, did an MBA at some point in time, and I did my thesis on leadership. Okay. And so that was my field, actually for a good while. But but I had a a, a real, um, say, good break. Uh, Fortunately, I suppose the the thesis was a good piece of work. Mm. And the director of the business school at that stage asked me to work with a faculty member to design what was then their, their top top, top level leadership program. We'd not done anything at that level before. Mm -hmm. So it was an extraordinary opportunity. And I designed the program. And when I looked in, it was a a 10 month program. And I literally flew people from around the world to facilitate a session once Mm -hmm. a month. Mm -hmm. And ethics landed in there, not via my research into leadership, that was truly what I call a world according to Cynthia Factor. I looked at it. Way back then, I'm mean, looking at the late 90s wow. now. Yeah. And I looked at it and thought, if we're looking at leadership, ethics yeah. is important. And, and the, really, the real turning point for me was that when I looked at then getting a speaker on it, mm-hmm. I found I could get speakers, and great ones, 
who could speak to ethics from a religious perspective oh, okay. and similarly from a moral philosophical oh. perspective. Now, I think, of course, they're both relevant, but I was sitting there saying, no, 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 hold on. I'm interested in the practical approach in the workplace. How do we improve this? How do we add mm. value here? And I, I did, in the end, find a speaker who's completely fabulous and yeah. in the area of ethical dilemmas. But, but it still didn't speak to exactly what I had envisaged putting in there. So way back then, I started developing work. And, and literally over time, and quite unintentionally, my work literally just morphed. Yeah. Until one day I thought, actually, you're not doing any more leadership anymore. You're not mm. even being invited to do it. And, and so, you know, way back then, ethics was on no one's mm. radar. Um, but it has given me, uh, you know, an extraordinary length of period and, and depth of... And a great platform at the moment because it's so relevant. Indeed, yes. Which, which brings me to my next question. I was just wondering, what do you think your unique value proposition is? You know, when you get into a space, what do you bring in? What, what are we sensing, feeling from you that's so unique? Oh, it's always, always difficult to, to speak to, to, to what, to ourselves uh, mm. most directly. Um, I think in my field, I think that the first uh, advantage I have is that ethics has not enjoyed the depth of attention in workplaces. And, and let me interrupt myself and say by workplaces, I mean obviously public, private, NPO across yeah. the whole spectrum. But within the workplace, um, leaders have not applied their mind and really developed a depth of knowledge of understanding. Uh, around ethics the way they would I mean strategy they yeah. could talk to for a week you know um, not correctly but they try yes <laughs> and that's why that's why you were there that's why um, I'm there yeah but I think uh, as I say I'm not sure it's a it's a sort of unique point but but I think I bring not simply uh, you know some knowledge of, of ethics but but I have the advantage of this huge a period, this huge experience, you know, of, of doing informal research, I grant you, of writing my mm -hmm. books. And, and so I bring a real depth and real experience uh, around that. And that monetary instrument as well, you know. It's honestly that, we've, we've got another one as well. But okay. that's very valuable because often organizations are saying, in effect, but where do we start? And actually a pretty useful place to start is saying, do you know the status of ethics in your organization. Can you quickly name your top three ethical strengths and, here's the issue, your three ethical risks, mm. your biggest risks? Yeah. And, and if as the leadership you can't name that, uh, you know, this is absurd. Mm. Um, it, it happens that, of course, the, the assessment of ethics, you know, as you know, is aligned with, with the Companies Act, Social yeah. and Ethics yeah. Committee, with King 4. So, you know, this is not just my personal recommendation, yeah. Yeah. But, but that often is a very easy step to start moving the ethics yeah. forward. I'm wondering, what book have you read in 2018 that has really inspired you? Well, I, I continue the, the book that was most impactful. I'm yeah. not sure inspired yeah. is, the, is yeah. the right word. But, but I did think Jacques Poe's book, um, The President Keepers, was extraordinary. As I say, not inspirational. Uh, the word almost depressing does, does come to mind. Um, but I think it's also the sort of reality check we need. I, I think as we move forward with, you know, some hope and I, and I hope better prospects, I think that we need to really understand where we've been yeah. 
as an antidote to this not happening Happen again. again. Yeah. But you know, as human beings, we always repeat our history, don't yeah, we? I'm hoping not. <laughs> yeah. If somebody puts you in a category of leader, you know, um, do you embrace that label uh, readily? What, what does that title conjure up in your mind? I think it's a flattering title to be considered a leader in, in any sense. But, but for me, the, the ultimate leadership style is, if you want, mm -hmm. is servant leadership. Yeah. I know that that word is not often embraced, whether you call it stewardship or yeah. the like. I think it is so relevant in our country for the past and for the future that, that leadership cannot be around self and your own status and your ego and never mind, you know, the, the nasty bits of, of self-enrichment. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be uh, about uplifting others, about empowering others. And I always say that that power, that influence that you have as a leader, what you yeah. do, um, shouldn't be used for your benefit. I, I'm not saying that you don't count, but, but it really has to be used to, to remove those obstacles to uplift others. And, and as I say, I'm not saying only in South Africa, but here, of course, there's a yeah. huge need for that. So when you think of a behavior or a trait that you've observed that seems to derail leaders, which one is it? And um, how should aspirant leaders uh, avoid falling foul of that? I think there are many, but I, I come back to the point I just raised. I think ego is yeah. an enormous trap. And, and I think that, that, you know, as I say, with that increased power, with that increased recognition, I, I understand, of course, we're all human and, and mm -hmm. it has, has an impact. But I think we've got to guard against a, a term I use loosely. I don't mean it loosely. Yeah. We've got to guard against being what I call smart and important. Mm. Um, smart I, and important. Yes, yeah. yes. And I always say you don't have to ask someone if they're smart and important. It shines yeah. through. Mm. And this is not a compliment. Mm. And, and I think that, as I say, while it is uh, perhaps human behavior, that, that we can become quite self-centered as we become more and more and more powerful. Yeah. And people, you know, revere what you say. And, and mm. um, I, I think the, the personal discipline is, is a, a healthy dose of humility. Um, because I think in, in the absence of that, I, I think that ego starts to, to warp how, how we exercise that power. And especially how we see reality, especially Ex in the context of fake news. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Which leader in South Africa, dead or alive, do you admire and why? Oh, I, I mean, we... we, we can almost more easily raise leaders that, that yeah. we don't admire. Do you know, for me, Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu is an extraordinary leader. And, and the reason I, I'd identify him is mm -hmm. that if we go right, right, right back, mm -hmm. he always had the courage to stand up. He stood up, he spoke up on every single occasion. And, and so, I mean, it's something we've, we've come to expect of him. But I, I think there were others, but, but I, I really think he, he played an extraordinary role in that regard. And, and I, I use the word courage because he's also stood up against those who are closest to yeah. him, are those who in theoretically he, he has been aligned with through yeah. all these years. 
Um, so it's not just, you know, an us and them. He, he has really stood for, for what was right in, in all regards. I, I think is extraordinary. Mm. So the key word I hear there is courage, being a courageous yeah. individual. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it does take courage. I, I think it takes great courage sometimes uh, to stand up for what's right because you will not necessarily be supported. Mm. Um, but, but for me, I mean, he's a, an example of a great, great leader in our country. Thinking of leaders in our country, you know, in the corporate world, there are many things we don't seem to be achieving. Um, I would be very interested to know from your perspective what you think we could do better and why our leaders not doing what you think they could do better. It sounds flippant, but I think one of the reasons we're not doing more is that our, our leaders, coming back to our chat on, on humility and ego, I, I think they're often caught up in thinking they know it all. Mm. They're not sitting down and really asking themselves the question of not only what am I doing, what I'm getting right, there's probably a whole pile of things, but, but what am I not looking at, what am I not taking into account? So I think that measure of genuine introspection is hugely important. But in terms of what can be done, um, you know, I think the issue of discrimination has always been a, a factor in our society and therefore in, in our workplaces. And I think the challenge we face now is not the overt discrimination that yeah. we see in a ghastly example like Vicky Momberg. I think the challenge we face is the latent, subtle discrimination. And, and I think it is really imperative, it has always been and remains imperative, that leadership shine a light on this. That this is not, um, oh, well, let's just have another, uh, no, 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 we can't have a one-day training program that's way too long. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then we start silly debates like this. Is this a conversation that's happening in the organization? If it's not a focus area, I think we're going to lurch from, from one disaster to the next, as, of course, we're seeing in the press at the moment. And when you think 24 years on, exactly. in terms of South Africa's history, do you think our leaders are able to put a mirror in front of themselves and say, you know, how are we not contributing to a better South Africa? Yeah, and, and I think we've got to get past being defensive about this. This has to be around, around looking forward. Mm. And, and I think that, that that area of what I'm broadly putting under the banner of discrimination, and by that I mean gender inequality and, and obviously you know, sexual yeah. abuse and, and, of course, racism. Yeah. I, I think that, that if we could genuinely pay more attention to that and try and achieve a, a better more discrimination-free workplace, I think that that does make a difference. You know, what I'm trying to figure out is, I look at you as a white female, I've known you for a couple of years, and where does this compassion for other human beings come from? You've always been very giving, of us as the new generation, trying to get into the corporate space. I know at one time you even asked me to be on your program when you were presenting on corporate governance. Where does this generosity of spirit come from? Do you know, I, I think we're all, we all have certain gifts. I think whether we are, are bestowed with, uh, you know, intellect or, or whatever. And, and I mean, without getting too philosophical about it, I think the greatest thing we can do is, is how we uplift, empower and share with other people. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I think that that, that was a choice I made as a mother. 
Um, and, and I think it, it should shine through our lives. You know, mm. I, I think I have been very fortunate, not in all regards, but I've been mean very fortunate in terms of opportunities I've had, but, but in terms of, of you know, um, intellect or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, that we should never lose sight of the fact that, that for all the opportunities and the advantages that we have, of course the flip side of that coin is the responsibility. Yeah. And, and it's very easy to lose that connection that, of course, should never be separated. Yeah. Um, and, and when you're in that, that phase of whether you call it giving back or exercising your responsibility, I think we should bear in mind, you're not doing someone a favor. The, yeah. This is, you know, the, this is really a normal part of how we should be interacting mm -hmm. with each other. Yeah. I like that. I really... Um, what courageous choices uh, have you made in your career path so far and, and what pushed you to make those choices? I think one noteworthy courageous decision is that I, I, I spent time in, in the corporate world as a, yeah. a director, in fact an HR director for, for an organization and I must tell you it was quite a wonderful uh, stage. I, I did happen to love the company as well. It does help, yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. But I, I, also have to acknowledge that you know that that regular monthly salary was such a bonus and it was good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as an entrepreneur, we do miss that, exactly, don't we? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and the company was was bought out, and you know to say that that I didn't align with the new company's culture is an understatement. Wow. Uh, yeah. Anyway, and and so so uh, for me, the the dis that was actually the tipping point that moved me into setting up a dedicated ethics business. So, so the irony is that I've been working in ethics since the late 90s, but actually I only set up the, the ethics business, you know, I don't know, 2010, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as a dedicated business, so, so stepping out of that very comfortable corporate salaried you know, situation. Mm. And, and when you start out, you know, you really do, as, as an entrepreneur, you really do start out, yeah. you know. Uh, in quite a different space. No. So, yeah. so it's, that was it's a new beginning altogether. Indeed, yeah. indeed. So, so that was that was for me quite a quite a bold decision. Yeah. Uh, because of course it took some time to to really build it up. Yeah. But this is comforting because what that's telling me is that um, what you're doing is what you believe in mm -hmm. because you are in a situation where it's like I'm not going to be part of this. Yes. I think I'm incredibly fortunate to be in that space that, that you know, I know it's a bit cliched to say I don't regard my work as work, um, but to have had the choice to be able to say I feel really passionate about this and I'm going to turn it into, into what I do, I, I think that that is wonderful and, mm. and I think I'm very fortunate to be in that space. And, and literally because when I'm, whatever we're doing, you know, we're delivering the talk or whatever it is, I think it matters. I, I, I feel like I'm, like I'm adding value. Value, yeah. Do you have a bucket list that you still want to achieve? Well, I suppose the bucket list is, is a little influenced by the fact that one of my daughters is in Australia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> and, and the other province of South Africa? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> And so let, let me combine that with the fact that, that one of the parts of my work that, that I really enjoy 
is the the sort of speaking circuit of of you know delivering talks i i think it can it can sometimes just open people's eyes in in a relatively short mm. space of time uh, so combining that certainly what what i would hope in the future is that my speaking and that aspect of my work uh, becomes much more international yeah yeah it's not not that you know we're only mentioning australia but that is the, sort of uh, <laughs> the starting point yeah indeed yeah. indeed and you've been doing that quite often in the last few years i mean too I get there regularly, and and I have done a little bit of work there, um, really very small. But um, but as I say, if if I could grow my my speaking career internationally, that that would be a real bonus. That should be giving you a good aspect in terms of global leadership, and you know the kind of values our leaders are possessing. Yes, and certainly relative to Australia, a, a very very different space. So I think coming from our perspective here in South Africa. Um, maybe not always for great reasons, but I think we have an enormous amount that that we can we can teach others. I mean, just one example is that in Australia, the word ethics. I mean, they use it, but actually, it's a very rule-based society. Now, that makes it very easy to be there. People really do stop at traffic yeah. lights. You know, they do all those things, and <laughs> I know it's amazing. <laughs> and, and so it's very rule-based. But here's the catch with that. Yeah, it. It limits the focus to compliance, mm, mm. and don't don't get me wrong. I think compliance is a great thing. We could improve that a lot here. Yeah. But of course, ethics moves beyond compliance, and there we're looking at behaviour that I would far better describe as commitment. Yes. You're, you're not ethical because you have to be. You're right. ethical because you choose to be. Yeah, and right. and that distinction of moving from compliance to the commitment that ethics entails. I think is a very important path, and and so as I say in Australia, a uh, huge focus on, on that very much that rule-based mm -hmm. compliance. You know, uh, I I tick the box, therefore I'm fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now I remember my last visit, they uh, my friends didn't even want to park in, on the paveway <laughs> where they should not have been parking. Yeah, it's <laughs> quite interesting. What value uh, do you find in networks and networking? Um, and what kind of insights and wisdom can you share with aspirant leaders in terms of how they should approach that subject? Do you know, I think networking and, and getting out there and meeting people, of course, by definition, this is a good thing. You know, the more people we know, I, I think this has, you know, the obvious advantage that I can call you for, for whatever. I think the the point that shouldn't be lost in terms of networking, and I think that that is is sometimes a problem in terms of networking is that people tend to look at networking as a one-way exercise mm. so they're meeting you and they're saying oh she got this amazing business what can she do for me and and mm. I yeah and and so you might be able to Th yeah. this might be the perfect person you need for your next program or or, or whatever or your next interview um, I, I think that that if we're looking at networking, we have to clearly recognize its success lies in it being two ways. Mm -hmm. That I say, hey, do you know what? There's someone I think you should meet who is doing fabulous work related to what you're doing. You should go and have a cup of coffee. And so I think if we approach networking with what can I offer others, whether it's a, it doesn't have to be the fee-paying job, it, whether it is, is building you know, their, their connection in the field they're working in yeah. or whatever, I, I think that that dual uh, flow uh, needs to be a very conscious feature of networking. Mm. 
I remember, I think it was um, 2012, uh, Busara Leadership Partners conducted research on networking. And there were corporate governance issues that seemed to come up in terms of networking, where we tend to see relationships um, getting into murky waters when it comes to tenders and business. What is your view around that? Because sometimes we seem to think the mere knowing of somebody is corruption, that you can't award somebody you know business. Um, is this the right interpretation that we have in South Africa? You raise a very interesting point. And, and the problem is that the backdrop to the point you're raising is that we have all witnessed enormous corruption, for example, in, in the area of supply chain procurement and that, enormous corruption. And, and so when, when you're in a networking situation and you meet someone who is the chief procurement officer for, you know, let, let's say a very big, you know, SOE. Yes. <laughs> Utilities. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, um, th this would appear to be a hugely important contact. Why? Because the person has the power to, to give out work. Um, but but the, the person, for example, the procurement officer would need to be very, very cautious in terms of how he or she managed those relationships. Because even though they may manage them perfectly professionally and there may be nothing untoward about it, this backdrop of the enormous scandals we have does color people's thinking. They're looking at it and saying, huh, I wonder what's going on there. So I think that, that leaders in those positions of power where they can you know, hand out the tenders or the like have to be doubly cautious. Um, about how they manage those relationships. You know, it doesn't mean they can't have any friends, um, but, but they do have to exert professionalism that, that is huge. And, and then this comes to you know, hospitality, gifts and the like. So if it's the lavish opening function of the conference, of course everyone's there, there's nothing untoward. But when you alone have been booked into the presidential suite and you know, everyone's got you know, the, the cheapest room the hotel had, you know there's a message in this. You shouldn't have missed this. <laughs> yeah. So we need to be more um, level-headed about how we look at relationships. Yes, level-headed, but we've got to be very aware to how this can be seen by mm. others, even if there's nothing untoward. Yeah. Uh, because there and disclosure, important. Huge. Transparency. Already being very open, very clear. What makes other people so vulnerable? You know when we say the, the fish rots from the head? Yes, yes. Um, but there are people that seem to follow the leader, but there are people that seem to say not in my name. Yes. Why do you think there are people that are so distinctive in terms of not in my name? I think it's a function both of the leader and the follower. So I think if it's an extraordinarily powerful leader, I, I think we need to recognize that, that that influence can be quite coercive, let me put it that way. Coercive. Yeah. Okay. And, and I, I think from the follower's side, you know, at a level, you know, if you have, have self-confidence and, and crucially, if you have a really deep understanding and commitment to your own values, if this is something you've clarified mm -hmm. for yourself in your yeah. own life, then it puts you in a stronger position to be able to stand up and say, excuse me, you know, yeah. not on my watch, not in my name, not in my department. Yeah. 
Um, the challenge, though, is that, and I appreciate these are extreme examples, but they're happening. The challenge is that we have encountered situations where the leadership influence is being used literally to coerce people into unethical behavior. You know the story, I don't care who, who should get this tender and who qualified. Let me be very clear. This one that I'm adding to the pile now is the one who gets it. Yeah. And, and you can stand up for ethics then. And, and I've had really poignant comments from, from participants saying, Cynthia, I absolutely understand that I'm doing something that is unethical and illegal. But here's the catch. I'm a single mother. I have two children. And, and, and I support my family. I actually have to have this job. Yeah. So I, I think that, again, we come back to the, the real imperative for ethical leadership, that that sort of pressure is happening, is happening. It, it in fact, came out one of the, the factors in all those Gupta leaks around, around Eskom, that this is happening. Yeah. This is not some dreamed-up scenario that might happen. Yeah. And so... Despite having the confidence and the courage to stand up, I, I think that given our economy and given the state of employment, it is understandable yeah. that someone could say, honestly, I, I really need this job. Yeah. It was interesting because when you used the word coercive, I was like, how does that work? Yes. Now that you've explained it in that context, yeah. we really should have more compassion. Not that we should allow people to get yes. away with it, but we should have compassion for yes. the decisions people have to make. Indeed. You know, I, I wrote a whole article on this because I think it's such a, a, a difficult situation. Um, I, I'm not saying that, that there aren't ways of dealing with this. Um, and, and I think that, that, you know, you should look at how to deal with it. But, but the real solution, of course, lies in changing the leadership. That, that when you're sitting with leadership who've behaved like this, I don't think, you know, their, their tenure in the organization going forward should even be debated. Yeah. Um, I, I think you can't continue with leadership. So you need courage at all levels. Exactly. Everybody to be able to remove whatever layer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It has been such a great conversation. You know we can go on forever. I know, I know. Is there something else you just want to add in closing in terms of uh, leadership wisdom that uh, other people could appreciate? I think the emphasis I would add, as, as you would appreciate, is that we've got to start connecting ethics to leadership in an inseparable way. Uh, the difference that ethical leadership can make is enormous. And, and literally the difference between the ethical leader and the unethical leader, I mean, I, I'm stating the obvious, is enormous. And, and the real impact of that is that you know, coming back to our, our conversation around leaders, is that leaders not only have the greater power and influence and the like, but, but they have the ability to shape the behaviours of, I say their audience, because I don't only mean their employees, but, but of all their followers, and that can be citizens mm. of a country. So all stakeholders. Indeed. And, and leaders have the ability to shape that for good. Mm. And the catches, they've also got the ability to shape it for bad. Yeah. And, and so for me... That, that issue of, of truly embracing, of standing up for speaking, not simply of leadership, but if we can create that inseparable bond of ethical leadership, I, I, think, I think we can start to move forward with greater clarity. Living beyond the code of conduct. Indeed. Actually living. Indeed. Yeah, emphasis on the living. I, I would go with that entirely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cynthia. I really have enjoyed this.
You're, you're most welcome. And I look forward to our next discussion. I do too. Thank <laughs> you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Durum Somi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Durum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.